The Unlikely Innovators with Mike Comito and Steve Gravel. Presented by Cambrian R&D and the Center for Smart Mind. Mike, The Unlikely Innovators are back and we're back in a big way. Uh, this week we have Stuart Reynolds, better known as Brittle Star on the podcast. I thought it was an awesome episode. Great to talk to Stuart. Uh, very enlightening on on all things viral videos. I, I thought it was great. I wish that we had recorded as soon as the Zoom call started because what I'll share with the listeners is that Stuart was testing his microphone by singing. And I just thought of how you used to always sing your way into a podcast intro. And I thought, <laughs> you know, if there was any week for Steve to bring back the singing intro, it would have been this week. But I know that's a lot of pressure to follow Stuart um, because he has a great voice. And again, as we saw in the background, Nice display of guitars, um, and he certainly walked us through his his initial dreams. I think of being a musician as a youngster uh, to transitioning into his uh, his career now, making making videos and, and producing content. So, Mike, I can't just sing for any guest. That had there has to be something that strikes me in the episode that is relatable, and unfortunately, I just didn't it didn't rhyme with anything. I didn't find any any particular song that would match. So it'll come back. I'll tease the audience. I don't know when it'll come back, but it will come back. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think we should put a hard deadline on it or a, even a even a, a a goalpost. I think to your point, I agree. It has to, it has to hit you at the right moment. It has to be organic and it has to be genuine. As Stuart mentioned, it's important that content appears genuine, and it wouldn't be genuine for me to shoehorn um, content in like that. Now, what I want to say is, we're going to quickly get out of the way because we packed a lot into this interview. Um, and I really uh, hope everyone enjoys this as much as we did making it. Here is Stuart Reynolds, Brittle Star. We're back and we're pleased to be joined by Stuart Reynolds, but you probably know him better as Brittle Star. His comedic and family-friendly videos have been seen more than 600 million times on various platforms. His KFC video campaign was the most popular branded video content in the world on Facebook for the summer of 2017. With a global fan base and invitation to the White House, speaking engagements all over North America, Commentary segments on Global National, a panelist on CTV National News, starring in the DreamWorks TV show Kid vs. Parent with his youngest son, collaborations with celebs such as Ryan Reynolds, Gordon Ramsay, and the Property Brothers, and meet and greets at Playlist Live. Uh, Brittle Star is, a living, is living the social media celebrity dream, not bad from a, for a dad from the suburbs, and not bad for a guest something like the Innovators. So, Brittle Star, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Gosh, I love hearing that introduction. <laughs> it is it, it is a great intro, I, or a great bio. It makes you feel like I've really done some things, which is nice, which is nice. There's so many times when I think to myself, I don't feel like I've done anything. And then I just have to go back and have someone read my bio. I could just pay someone to read my bio every morning. <laughs> that'd be good. Yeah, I think every time, every day you get out of the bed in the morning, right? To have your yeah. bio at the ready, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's like a reverse you... daily affirmation, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. When, you know, I'll just as a really quick aside here. I remember uh, we were, I was filming in Vancouver and I was staying at a friend's house and, and his mother-in-law uh, came over and uh, right before we hit, it was him and I were working on this, uh, the, this uh, thing called Hotel Bellicombe. And uh, right before we left to go to set that day, she gave him and I like these big hugs and I didn't really know her at all. I was like, I felt great after I got outside of the car and I was like, God, I want to start every day like that. If I could just get her to read my bio and hug me, <laughs> that'd be perfect. Yeah. I wish I get a hug every time. Sometimes my wife isn't up when I leave in the morning. I leave a bit early sometimes. And <laughs> if she read my bio, it would actually probably be uh, way worse than if uh, someone read it professionally. <laughs> well, Tanya, if you're listening to this, we need a bio and a hug every morning for Steve. So <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We'll, we'll see get her we on that, you. Steve. But uh, but Stuart, you know, obviously, before we get to uh, you know the Brittle Star persona, 
we always like to ask our guests about their career path. And sometimes, you know, we have these guests on and the show is called The Unlikely Innovators. And in our minds, we think that a lot of our guests have unlikely career paths. But then as they kind of explain to us their journey, it's often not so unlikely. But before you got to, you know, releasing and posting your own videos in 2013, can you maybe talk about your career path and, and, sure. and where you were going and what, what you thought you would do versus to uh, versus where you ended up now? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, growing up, I was really involved in in music and I was kind of, that was my main focus was like, I'm going to be a musician of some sort. I'm going to be, and I wasn't even a musician. I think I just wanted to be a pop star. That was basically it. It wasn't even, I wasn't even focused on the actual skill part of the music. Uh, I was like, I just, that sounds super fun. I'd like to do that. And so I uh, really, really focused on that for a very long time until I was about uh, in my when I, when I was 19, I started writing radio jingles as a way to make money making music and did that for about five years. And, uh, and it ran a little successful little business, which was great. And then after that, I, I moved to the UK and it was kind of like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do now. It was sort of, you know, it was sort of different times. I was in my mid 20s and uh, I decided at the end of my 20s, my wife and I were like, well, let's start our own business. And so we started a business that was kind of essentially like a web development type business, did hosting and all that kind of stuff. And um, we did that uh, as a sort of way for us to stay home with the kids so that we were able to, like when we were planning on having children, it's like this is a good way for us to set our own hours. So we did that for 10 years. Uh, and we had this company that we ran in a couple of different offices around town. And then uh, eventually ran it in our house. We moved out to the suburbs. We had more space. And um, but right before, and then we actually sort of moved it back to uh, uh, to downtown. And then uh, we were hacked, and uh, we were hacked by a 16-year-old in Cairo. And uh, I knew tremendous amounts of information about this young man. He was 16. I knew his home address. I knew everything. I was able to pinpoint a ton of information about this kid. And he just basically had vandalized the, the front doors, essentially, of everyone's website. But the downside is, is, of course, when you vandalize the front door of a website, that means people can't get into the business at all. <laughs> so they don't just have to look past, you know, some sort of phallic graffiti. Um, so, But that sort of wiped us out for about two days. And in that two days, we lost about 65% of our clientele. They all left us. And... Wow. Um, and then it was about three months after that that uh, we lost a huge contract in the States just because they changed owners. Uh, they were happy with us. We love you guys. The new owners just don't want you. Um, and we lost a huge amount of money. So I, I, we went down to like sort of serious fiscal straits. It was uh, really, really dire for us um, from about 2008 until 2013. Um, I dabbled a bit in voiceovers. I had the studio set up in my house, which you can, if you can, if you can see me right mm -hmm. now, it's basically where I am. Um, but I would do voiceovers, and that was that sort of got us through and made some mortgage payments. And then the social media kind of really hit, especially Vine, and uh, I realized there was an opportunity to kind of go into that kind of stuff. So it's been, I mean, I didn't plan to be where I am at all. Um, there was no way I could have planned it. You know, like how <laughs> I can't imagine going back to my 16 year old self and saying. In the future, <laughs> when you're in your early 40s, you will start making movies with your phone. It doesn't make any sense <laughs> at all. Yeah, I was uh, 
uh, when I heard that you had lived in the UK around the right time, I was going to ask you a question, but it's often not good to ask a question that you don't know the answer to. Um, <laughs> Those I was are the gonna, best kind. Uh, well, I'll ask it anyways, then. I was going <laughs> to say, um, if you're living in the UK, did you ever listen to the Ricky Gervais show when it was on XFM? That was after my time in the UK. Oh, That's was, how eh? old I am. Yeah, I was there in 95, 96. And okay. uh, yeah, Ricky was just still a, a, a failed pop star at that point. So Yeah, which is honestly the best version of uh, Ricky Gervais in a lot of ways. But um, <laughs> no, I just, I, I've been re-listening. They have it on uh, on Spotify. And mm -hmm. I just would have loved to have uh, recognized that as a radio uh, show at the time. But I, I'm, I'm coming to it way late now. Yeah, it was so funny. Like Carl Pilkington is oh, hilarious. I mean, it's huge just, fan it's of so Carl Pilkington. Good. Yeah, yeah, and that that sort of British sensibility that uh, they can only convey is yeah. is, is so good. Um, I'm going to nerd out for a second with you if I can. Um, sure. I'm sure you're familiar with Marshall McLuhan saying that the yeah. medium is the message. Uh, when you started releasing videos on Vine, uh, which no long long no 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 longer exists, then mm. you sort of switched to TikTok yeah. and Instagram. Um, can you just talk a bit about how, you know, the medium of like media rich social media sharing mm -hmm. has influenced your evolution on what you release on social media? Oh, yeah. I mean, even from the get go, like the reason that Vine was a success was because of the advent of 4G. Um, and it meant that you were able to download and view videos on your phone while you're standing in line at the grocery store, which just really hadn't been a possibility prior to that. Um, never mind the fact that you could make videos on your phone and upload them pretty easily too. Um, so that was a massive player in, in what we were doing. And of course, starting back in those days, you know, vines were 480 pixels, uh, by 480. So it was pretty low resolution. And then as things sort of progressed and we sort of got into LTE and all that kind of stuff, it was like, okay, well, people want better quality. They want better quality. So you have to update, you know, upgrade it to 720, at least if not 1080. And, uh, they're going to see more. I mean, it's sort of, it's a bit like, um, uh, I, I watch Coronation Street. Don't make fun of me. I make, <laughs> I love I, it. I watch Coronation Street and when HD television kicked in, they had to redo all of their sets, uh, because people were like, I can see that that is a fake whatever in the background. So you need to fix that. Um, so, I mean, that kind of thing is like technology is a massive impact in, 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 in what I'm doing in the sense that the production quality had to increase with it as well um and it just kind of i mean it made it easier to do everything which is which is also i mean it made it harder in the sense that you had to be more aware of what was happening in the frame um, because people can see detail and all that kind of thing but at the same time it made it easier for me to start doing more and more videos like people just wanted more content what about creatively like the the length of the videos you don't get to have a you know mike and i have the benefit of spending a half hour with people mm. to convey a message uh you know having you know 30 seconds to two minutes, you know, that's pretty much the old time commercial spot, right? <laughs> exactly. You know? So what, what is that like creatively uh, having to pack that in? Uh, you know, I'm a fan of it actually, which is, you know, what's interesting is I signed a book deal at the beginning of summer. And so I've been writing this book, which is like a collection of essays. And I am, I was pretty explicit with the publisher and the agency. And I was like, you know, I, I don't want to like pad this. I don't want to, I want to get to the point right away. Um, and I think that that's, there's just so much media, there's so much content for people to consume that I feel sometimes it's, it's, you know, you've got to really have a good reason to eat up a lot of their time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, there's a place for that. Like there's, there's, you know, my wife and I, Shannon and I love documentaries. We will spend hours watching documentaries on a deep dive on stuff like that. 
But in, in the social media world, in sort of the passing entertainment media world, um, there's so many things competing for people's attention and people are under this guy, this sort of notion that the next best thing is the next scroll away. Like what are mm -hmm. they missing by watching you? What are they missing next? Uh, or what are they going to be late to the game with? So I'm, I'm a fan of that 30 to 60 seconds. I did a video actually, um, today, uh, which isn't out yet, which, uh, I was watching my, my audio recorder, clock as i was doing it to sort of see give me an idea of roughly how long it was like came in at about one minute 20 seconds i was like oh yeah that's the sweet spot that's that's uh, but that's that's a novel in my world so that's great. Well, it's it's funny too because i remember when twitter had switched from 140 characters to 280 mm -hmm. i i lamented the change because i had felt that i had gotten so and i mean good in air quotes <laughs> but like i thought i had been, i had perfected getting my tweets down to 140 yeah. characters and now it threw off like how I put these together, it was going to change everything. It was going to be too long. And then obviously we know that it, it, it worked out fine. But I, in that moment, I was probably one of the few, I guess, hipster Twitter users who were like, no, we need to keep it at yeah, 140 characters. Yeah, I was the same. I, I, I enjoyed it. I liked that telegraphic quality that it had. It yeah. was sort of like, you know, uh, heading to store, it rained. <laughs> <laughs> much wetness yeah. or something really sort of quick um but uh yeah i think i mean i think there's a, there's a lot to be said for being succinct and for being uh and cutting to the chase and kind of le and leading to the next starting a conversation as opposed to in people's minds at least as opposed to uh leading you know putting out too much information at one time mm -hmm. absolutely and you know, just kind of switching gears to some more of your some of your other videos. I know that in the bio that I read, we referenced you know the KFC video that obviously the campaign that went viral. Um, mm -hmm. So we wanted to ask you that a lot of corporate advertising firms have tried to you know engineer their own viral videos. You know, trying to mm -hmm. blend social media content with you know their own branding and advertising. But you've done a really remarkable job at I think doing that and being able to take social media satire, but also kind of kind of give it the quality that I think a lot of these firms are looking for. How have you been able to, to, to find that winning formula? And is there any, uh, <laughs> any, any tricks you've learned along the way that have allowed you to, to, to do it in the way that you have? Um, I think that the medium itself, like social media as a medium is based on personality and a sense of authenticity to it. Um, so when you, if you try to do something that's too broadcast and too TV, it looks really fake and it looks like you're trying to pull one over uh, on the viewer. And I think that, um, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, in, in that earnestness, there's a, a way you can kind of approach branded content and be like, this is a branded piece of content. Like mm -hmm. we all know ads exist and we all know I gots to eat. So, <laughs> Uh, this is what we're doing now. Um, I mean, I think that the more you try to pretend like something isn't an ad, the more you try to sucker people in, the less effective it is and the less likely they are to share it. Plus, I think that's one of the most important things for anything that wants to go viral. And for those who are just listening, I'm air quoting. Um, <laughs> but for those people who are trying to create something that goes viral, you have it has to have utility. It has to have functionality. It has to be a piece of content that people can use to express who they are or how they feel about something. If it doesn't have any, you know, even if it's a case of like, this is going to make you smile, that can be a purpose or utility. It just has to have something. It can't be like, there's a sale on pianos at Johnny's Piano Shack. Like, who cares? Who cares about that? But if you tie that into that special moment when, 
we gathered around the piano and Granny played such and such. And man, why well, love the fact that she knew how to play Sweet Child of Mine on the piano. That was great. That's a funny story, and it's kind of like, okay, and, and that maybe resonates more than just like, hey, come buy our pianos. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I chose pianos for that example, but I'm glad <laughs> I did. Yeah, it sounds like a great uh, campaign, actually. <laughs> but uh, and I think you're you're quite right. I I always find myself, you know, like I'm a kind of a lurker on TikTok. I, mm. I don't usually produce that much uh, content, but I always realize, you know, these trends that come up, like they're either dances or, or or voiceovers. It always rings so hollow when a corporate tries to like recreate sure. that and jump in because they've already missed it if they're doing it right. If they've heard about yeah. it, yeah. they've already missed it. What do you feel about that? Yeah, no, I think it can be really hollow. And I think it can because it looks like, again, like you're trying to con people. It looks like you're trying to trick people. And uh, that just doesn't work that well. I mean, sometimes it does, but it rarely does. I much prefer, like, if you look at the Washington Post as a good example of uh, TikTok content, even if they're doing something that's trending on TikTok, they will do it in a manner that makes it obvious, makes it obvious that they are a brand. Mm -hmm. trying to do something that's trending and it's ridiculous and that's the funny part of it yeah um yeah there's just there's just this weird level i think because of the intimacy of the medium because people are usually watching on their phones which means they're holding you your entire being in their hand while they're on the toilet uh <laughs> or while they're in bed or while they're on the couch or while they're on the bus trying to ignore everybody else and that's a very very intimate connection between you and the person on screen and it becomes that sort of parasocial relationship. And it's really interesting. We were talking about this recently when I was at a, an event. And uh, people were saying how odd it is when you meet people uh, in real life that you've watched on screen only. But only, but not just your phone. When you see, like when you see people on television and you see them in real life, it's like, oh, wow, they're a celebrity and it's exciting. When you see people from social media, you see them and you go, hey, remember that time I did this? And you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. We don't actually know each other. That's, there's like a weird different level, you know? Yeah, it's true. It's as if they sent you a text or through WhatsApp a video of theirs, yeah. right? It's, it's yeah, that exactly. intimate. Yeah. Um, I think we've asked a, f a few of our guests before. I remember asking uh, Terry O'Reilly, who's actually an interesting parallel to, mm -hmm. to the kind of work you do in a more traditional sense. Um, just, you know, when did you know you made it? Um, and I think to a degree, Terry was kind of like, uh, he's always looking at the next job anyways, even though, right. you know, someone as secure as that. Um, do you feel sort of the same that, you know, you, you kind of don't really have time to say, you know, I've made it. I mean, you've, you've obviously had some significant, uh, stardom for lack of a better mm -hmm. word, you know, with your, your, the things that you do. Uh, when was there a point where you knew like, like, holy shit, this is actually more than just, you know, my local community that might care about this. I think, I mean, I've always had a grasp <clears throat> that doing anything on the internet, if you succeeded on it you were not necessarily known for it in your local community. Um, like even doing music back in the mid-2000s, late 2000s, like 2007, 8, whatever, um, I had success in music, but nobody really in town <laughs> knew who the hell I was or what I was doing. Um, and in the same way for now doing videos, it's like if, I, if someone recognizes me at Sobeys, it's like, well, that's nice. It's rare, though, as well. Um, uh, but I think that I don't have that notion of like, I've made it because I think that's part of being self-employed as, you know, I think as, uh, Jonathan Torrens, uh, once said to me, he said, you know, there's, as, as a, as a freelancer, as someone who's self-employed, you have, uh, two modes, work and worry. That's it. <laughs> and that's basically sort of how I operate, which I try not to, I'm really trying not to do that. Um, but you, you, in the same way that Terry said, you know, you're just looking for your next gig, you're looking for your next piece of work. 
that's kind of where I'm at, where I sort of like I do something. Well, that's really great. What next? Um, and I do that because one of the things that's specific to social media is that it's a nonstop demand for content and a nonstop com competition for profile. Um, so if I stop posting for a couple months, I have to work to get those people back. Yeah. And that's not probably the healthiest thing in the world. And there's ways to get around that. You can do, you know, rerun content and all that kind of stuff, which is a good way to get around it when you need those time off or you can't do it or whatever. Um, but it's nonstop and constant. That said, I will say that when I got invited to the White House, that was one of the things that made me go, okay, all right, I think I'm, I think I'm punching above my weight here now. This is, this feels like I've done something outside of my front yard now. I've, I've, I'm hitting, you know, I'm, I'm impacting uh, a, a wider audience than I thought, which is, which was really cool. Imagine being on the guest list for uh, the White House, but then not being let in a bar in your local town, right? <laughs> you know, that that's the, like, to your point about not being known locally, right? You know, that's that's got to be yeah. a weird dichotomy. It is. Well, luckily enough, I spend a lot of money in bars, so they let me in any <laughs> bar, so that's fun. Fair enough. I was going to say, I had a, I had a moment, and I, I don't have very many viral tweets, but I do kind of uh, dabble in, in hockey tweets, so occasionally one will get pick up some steam. And I remember a few years ago, I had a tweet about, you know, Ariana Grande once, you know, drove the Florida Panthers Zamboni because she got hit by a puck at a game and her parents, you know, <laughs> won the auction for her to have a ride on the Zamboni. Yeah. It was leading up to the Grammys that year where she was up for a bunch of awards and it went viral for right. me and it was, it was being aggregated in all these other news sites and my local radio station actually like called me because they wanted to talk to me on the air about this tweet. And I just thought it was such a surreal moment that I'm on the local radio <laughs> talking about a tweet about Ariana Grande. And and again, the majority of the people in my community wouldn't know that I exist, let alone that <laughs> I was tweeting about Ariana Grande. Right. So. Yeah. It's a weird thing. I mean, I think that because you can impact so many people like for such distances, like around the world. And uh, you know, I think like, I think of being recognized for me is like one of the weird things because, you know, I remember being, when we were in uh, Times Square, myself and my family, and we were there doing stuff with the Property Brothers and uh, we were crossing Times Square and someone said, oh my God, it's Brittlestar and his family too. <laughs> it's like, that's weird. Okay, cool, this is cool. So, I mean, it's really, and then, and then at the exact same time, I mean, I could, you know, there's places where I'll go where it's like, no one has any idea what that what I do, and even when I tell them what I do, they're like, "I don't know what even know what that is." Yeah. <laughs> Did they think the the property brothers were your adopted uh, sons when they said <laughs> yeah, that? Or? Exactly. Why, why? <laughs> that guy looks great for his age, man. <laughs> they really got the best of the genes, whoever they got them from. <laughs> uh, we wanted. I wanted to ask you this, and I, again, Steve's a huge Norm McDonald fan, so he's probably gonna be mad mm -hmm. at me for taking this question from him. But like Norm always used to joke uh, when he was interviewing people, like at the end, he'd be like where do you get your ideas from? And, and obviously I, I don't want to ask you that because I mean, that's a, you know, it's, it's a deliberately, question, I think, deliberately yeah, silly question. Yeah. Right? Like no one, you know, there's not a place where you could say, but I mean, the one thing we did want to ask you is that obviously, you know, the need to, to kind of keep fresh and keep producing content. Can you maybe talk a little bit about what your creative process is like and, and how you, and how you go about it so that you keep staying fresh and up to date with, with the things that you need to do? Well, that was a very fancy way of saying, where do you get your yeah. ideas from? Well, <laughs> Exactly. Which, or, well, or, you you can answer it as ridiculously as some of his guests did. You know, <laughs> uh, you never heard of the revolution, Mike? No, you never. Heard of, sorry, as a reference, Norm Macdonald podcast. Yeah. Um, 
But uh, no, I think that one of the things I learned because I was never really involved in comedy, I sort of considered myself kind of funny when I go out, at least after a couple of drinks, I was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> and I could tell a story because it was kind of ingrained in my uh, upbringing of the Scottish family is kind of like, you got to tell a good story. Um, and I think one of the places I get my ideas from, as it were, would be to think about what's funny to me and then and then from there go wait is it funny to just me <laughs> is it funny to everybody else too uh and then at the same time you just got you just kind of got to go for it i mean that's one of the great things about creating content now is that i was a big fan of sctv uh growing up and uh i get to basically run sctv my own sctv in my house so and it doesn't cost me really anything more if, if i do 10 videos a week or if i do one video a week it's the same price um so I can throw ideas at the wall. I can do stuff and be like, this might be funny. I don't know. I think it, I think it is. But there is that sort of pre-filter that goes through my head of like, you know, what's a funny situation or what's something that I can comment on and how can I provide value to that conversation and how can I not be, you know, too trite about it? Like that's always a big consideration is I don't want to make, I don't want to punch down and I also don't want to mock something or make light of something that is more of a serious matter that you're like, people would be thinking if I was someone else, I'd be looking at my content going, you know, just shut up. You don't need to comment on this. So that's, those are the filters I have to go through in my head. And then after that, it's kind of like, I don't know, let's just see if this works. Mm -hmm. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, but, it's like it's like when comedians try their stuff out at very small clubs first. Oh yeah, your club is your head first. Yes, and then if yeah. it passes that gate, yeah. then maybe it'll make it online. Yeah, well, I think. Yeah, I think so. Sorry, Mike. Good. No, no, no. Go ahead. Finish your finish. Your I was thoughts. just gonna say that. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, I have friends who are stand ups, and I've done a couple of events where they've essentially said, "Hey, can you just entertain us for twenty minutes?" I'm like, I am not a stand up comedian, but I will try. I guess. <laughs> Uh, and it's, uh, yeah, I think doing it on the internet is much easier, even though you're, you're opening yourself up to abuse from all over the world, you know, you, you just, who cares? Those guys are just losers on the internet like me. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the, one of the things I wanted to follow up with was because, you know, um, you know, I, I do some writing on the side, so obviously it's not, uh, it's not like producing and creating videos, but it's still the creative process that goes into that. And I think mm -hmm. when I first started to do writing a little more seriously, I always thought that writing only took place like when I was in front of my computer on my right. keyboard. But the more that I've done it, the more I've realized that you're, you're writing all the time. Like when I'm mm -hmm. doing dishes, like the mm -hmm. ideas are flowing. And then when I actually sit down on the computer, I already have something to kind of go with, or if I'm out for a walk with my kids, an idea yeah. might spring up and then you're writing in your head. And then when you sit down, it kind of comes out. Do you have that same kind of process when it comes to the videos or is it, are they coming from anywhere? And then you just kind of sit down and, and, and stream it. Yeah. I, I'm trying to be more, uh, regimented about what I'm doing uh, now. It's, this, this is new, and this is basically because of the the book thing, um, because I need to write every day for the book if I want to make my deadline <laughs> now. <laughs> We're into that crunch period now. We've gone through the summer of, oh, it doesn't matter. I'll get it done by then. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And now it's like, oh, crap. I have to actually get this done. Uh, uh, so I'm trying to be more regimented about what I'm doing, but I think even saying that, like this morning, I just woke up and while I was having my breakfast, I was like, oh, this would be a good idea. And then I read someone's tweet online. I was like, oh, okay, they talk about it too. Okay, good. All right. Or this is an issue that's out there. And then I wrote the script and the script was kind of written this morning. And then I thought, well, I have to go actually write for the book. And then once I'm done writing for the book, I'll film uh, this video, which I did. Um, it's really hard though, because there's nothing worse than kind of like sitting down in front of your computer and being like, write, do something funny. <laughs> It's like, I don't, I don't know. And you do get, I, you know, just much the same to you as you. 
and I'm sure a lot of people, I get much more inspired when I'm doing menial tasks or out walking or in the shower or, you know, like I said, like menial tasks, like mowing the lawn, great mm -hmm. spot. Mow the lawn, you get nice and vibrated. It's good. <laughs> and you're like, the brain's going. Um, or if I go on the treadmill, like those are also places where my mind kind of goes around and kind of opens up a little bit. It's like, oh yeah, that'd be a good idea. And you, I think you kind of have to have those seeds before you sit down to work, because if you don't, you're just going to be, you know, it's like, it's, it's, I don't want to make the draw a, a, you know explicit picture, but it's basically constipation is what it is. And it's just mm. no good. You just got to wait for it, wait for it to come out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, it's, I, I think what you're doing is, is very, uh, somewhat singular and unique you know when you look at everything that's out there on social media a couple comparisons if i may uh to to, to folks that i've seen in the past mm -hmm. um obviously this is gonna be fascinating yeah i hope so <laughs> gosh i hope so a lot of pressure steve well <laughs> so obviously you know rick mercer's rants mm -hmm. and his skits sort of come to mind especially the political topical mm -hmm. stuff that you do um and then obviously, I don't know if you know this person, but there's a guy from the UK named Jonathan Pye who does sort of a, a fake news yeah. uh, sort of skewing. And I find that there's 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 a bit of what you're doing in in some of that sort of uh, uh, th those two forms. Uh, do you take influence from folks like that? Rick Mercer, maybe I mean, less Rick so Jonathan Mercer, Pye? Rick Mercer, for sure. Absolutely. Um, I mean, who, there is no one in this country more glad that Rick Mercer is not doing rants weekly than I am. <laughs> Uh, and I remember actually at the time sort of like especially kicking into, I guess it was largely based on the U.S. political situation in 2016 on. And then Rick had uh, was giving up the Mercer report and, and uh, it was like, okay, I, I, feel, I, I wish he had made a video about this right now. And if he's not making one, I'll make one, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I remember trying that a couple of times and doing like the walk and talk like he does. First of all, that's hard. Oh, walking shit. and talking is hard. You're like, am I jogging? And then you look back and you're like, no, I'm like walking at a snail's pace, but I'm like out of breath already. That's not good. Um, so it's really difficult to do the physical part of that. But also Rick is like tremendously smarter than I am and much more involved and in, uh, in uh, you know, the, the details of the things that he talks about. Whereas I try to sort of see it from like a, an either a top down or an everyman perspective of like, I only have so much time to get into this and I'm just going to just cover the top sort of how I feel about something or what I think the general gist of something is. If you want the details, you're going to have to go somewhere else and get the details because I can't provide all that information, at least not and do it funny at the same time. Plus also I try to, I try not to get angry. Like Jonathan Pye is, is fantastic, but I also try not to get angry um, because I feel I'm already uh, telegenically challenged <laughs> in that regard so it's like i find if i'm if i smile and i look happy too much no nah, it's not very attractive and if i look angry same deal it's just all bared bared teeth nothing looks nothing with bared teeth looks good for me so i think i have to kind of i found that kind of middle ground where it's very deadpan and very sort of you know straight ahead and and uh yeah, I mean, I, I, I appreciate you making those two references. I mean, I, I mean, I really, I'm a fan of both of those guys for sure. Jonathan Pye is hilarious. Uh, I love his pieces. Uh, for the New Yorker is just so good. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but yeah, I try not to be angry, and I'm not as smart. That's my difference. That's my niche. Dumber <laughs> and uh, slightly happier. <laughs> well, you're, but you're quite right about like there was almost something professorial about uh, we all sort of gathered around and heard the rant from Rick mm -hmm. Mercer each week. 
so being the everyman is is the is the move, right? Like that seems to be a good a good spot for sure. And then obviously Jonathan Pye is sort of skewering, uh, you know, the most sort of top down possible, you know, like a, yeah. the, the newsman, right? So yeah, I think that Jonathan Pye does a great job of of uh, giving the emotional reaction to things. Like, are, are you seeing this? Are you seeing what I'm seeing? Um, and I think that. Rick Mercer's his rants were great because exactly that and that's I had people commenting on the videos I started kind of doing these sort of monologue type videos uh, they'd be saying you know I'm so glad that you said this because we needed to like someone to explain how we're feeling about this um, and I think there's a real need I think when you think back to those Mercer rants there was like exactly as you said you would have that weekly thing of somebody who was also Canadian talking about a Canadian thing going okay this is what happened and yeah, you're right. That's this means this, or this is this does suck, or whatever. And that was really, really therapeutic for people. Mm. So I mean, that's that utility and function again mm. with social media of content posting, where you kind of have to provide value because you're asking a tremendous amount for people to not scroll to the next thing, like because it could be the most amazing video right after yours, and you're wasting their time. <laughs> so Stuart, I'm the. To switch gears a bit i'm a father of two girls and so i'd be remiss uh you know if i didn't ask mm. the internet's favorite dad a question <laughs> about parenting so i wanted to ask you you know for all the listeners and viewers out there what would be the best piece of dad or parenting advice you know that you could share you know over your years of, of being a father and a parent wow just in general um sure however you I want to take it i say in general um listen uh, listen to your kids, um, and keep that dialogue open. Yeah, I think that. I think it's. In, I think it's. <clears throat> you know, I used to watch Three's Company, the the TV show, growing up, and uh, it dawned on me, even back then, I was like, you know what? I think every episode's based on miscommunication <laughs> because <laughs> this is a bigger issue than we think it is. And, uh, and then of course, if you watch Coronation Street now, you'll find it's much the same. Someone leaves their phone at home and something tragic happens. And then, you know, you know, it's miscommunication. No one knows what's going on. It's a communication issue. So I think it's, it's cliched and I think it's, uh, it's maybe, you know, oversaid sometimes, but it's so true. I think if you can maintain any dialogue with your kids, you should do it. You should be as open as possible. One of the things the pandemic did for us as a family, my kids are, are essentially grown now, they're 20 and 23. But uh, of course, at the beginning of the pandemic, they were you know 18 and, uh, and 21. Um, and uh, one of the things, which is really funny, is that we've never been really strict about profanity in our house. Like it's kind of like if it happens, it happens, it doesn't really matter. You try not to because you want mm -hmm. to, I mean, I've always sort of been, I've grown up with the notion that you should be able to find a better word to more accurately describe what you're feeling than just the F-bomb. But mm. sometimes the F-bomb is like the perfect word. That is like, <laughs> it, it's onomatopoeic, it's everything. Uh, and that's why it's existed for so long. And uh, we kind of just dropped all of the profanity concerns whatsoever as we went into the pandemic. And uh, it, it freed us up to have conversations we would have never had before. And they were a little startling and they were a little bit, you know, whatever, but man, it made a massive difference in the sense that our, both of our kids have said to us, you know, I'm so glad we can talk about this. It's like, man, I'm really glad we can talk about this too, because I can't imagine if you weren't talking, like I think back to when I was growing up, I was like, what did I do? I just didn't talk about this stuff with my folks, you know, and look how I turned out. So they want, <laughs> want them to be better than that. 
No, I, that's, that's great advice. I mean, I, I think of, um, it's, it's funny too, because we, in my, uh, in my house growing up, my parents were kind of, they did get pretty strict about, uh, the F-bombs as we got a little bit yeah. older. I think they tolerated it a little bit, but I remember <laughs> one summer I was working, I was working at a smelter. Um, so, wow. you know, manual labor, there was a lot of, uh, you know, unsavory language being thrown around at the yeah. site. Yeah. And I remember it just like, we didn't even realize it though, but we called it smelter mouth because we were all around the table, just like. <laughs> f-bombs to pass the carrots and stuff and like you know at, at that point we were much older so i think they they thought it was funny i just remember we were all laughing about it that we just kind of even though i was the one working at the smelter smelter mouth kind of invaded the table it's contagious and, yeah yeah it's contagious it just feels good for some reason i don't know why yeah. uh, a pandemic of another kind perhaps yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I i definitely resemble that too mike uh, i grew up around uh, loggers essentially you know, my, my parents owned a logging company and it was sort of just a fixture. The, the F-bomb was just <laughs> everywhere and a lot of French swears. They employed half their workforces uh, were, were from, from <laughs> Quebec also. So you got both both official languages. So, yeah, uh, I think yeah, it's yeah. Just, import, just important to get the communication aspect. That's the communication outweighs everything else. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of misunderstandings. Yeah, like because my daughters are are six and two, and so we have a communication problem in the sense that like the youngest one can't always sure. communicate what is the issue, right? But you just yeah. have to like put a little extra effort to try to get her to repeat it, and eventually you might arrive at what the <laughs> problem is, and then kind of address it. But yeah, I feel like as they get older, that'll be easier. But it's at the, those early ages where there's a communication barrier just by virtue of the fact that they can't they can't express their their thoughts just yet but uh but yeah For sure. it, it yeah. goes a long if, way as, as an aside um there's a fantastic series the guy whose mom gave me a hug or his mother-in-law gave me a hug his name matt clark and him and david milchard did a series a number of seasons of a show called convos with my two-year-old and uh if for <laughs> anyone who has kids man it is it is exactly what you're saying it's that he literally took he transcribed conversations he would have with his two-year-old daughter and then he'd have those that script acted out by him and his friend David, like a fully grown man. Oh, who, that's who would be awesome. His daughter, and uh, it was—it's. I mean, it is. It's absolutely hilarious, and especially as a parent, you're like, this is exactly that communication thing where it's like, they're trying to say something, you're trying to, and it's that weird thing I find with parenting as well is that I think your parents are the first people that uh, that treat you as an individual, right or wrongly. Like it's, you see that when you're at the mall or something, you've got parents who are like, you know, bending down to their toddler going, what are you thinking? Why did you do that? What are you thinking? And it's like, they're a toddler. They're not thinking at all. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it's, it's, it's hilarious in that regard. It sort of puts a mirror up to that and be like, oh, wow, it is ridiculous how we're talking to our kids sometimes, isn't it? So yeah, watch that if you can. Oh, yeah. with my two-year-old. I, I will definitely check it. I feel like I've heard of that before, but definitely now uh, I could definitely use that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you've been incredibly generous with your time so far, uh, Stuart, and I wanted to give you an opportunity uh, to sort of talk about what's next for Brittle Star. I mean, you teased the book a little bit. I don't know if it's too early for that. I'm confident that you'll finish it on time and that it'll be, and it'll be coming to us all soon. But other than that, where, where are we going with this, this phenomenon? Wow. <laughs> phenomenon. I'm, I'm going to be coming for a hug at some point. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, the book is kind of all consuming at the moment, so it's hard to sort of see past that. But of course, there's always things happening, like the podcast stuff is happening. Um, there's, uh, lots of video stuff happening as well. And, um, yeah, I mean, we'll sort of see. It's, it's really weird because I, I hadn't really, I've been really, really fortunate. I've been doing this for nine years and I have, 
I haven't really been able to chart a course. I haven't been able to look ahead and say what's going to happen in a year because it's like things could change. I think a really good example of that is starting out on Vine and getting 1.2 million followers and then just that Vine platform closing. And it's like, well, they're just gone now. Those yeah. people are just gone. Um, so it's, it's, I'd sort of, it's kind of getting up each day and kind of making small plans and going, well, let's see how it goes. We'll see what <laughs> happens next because there's no way you can guarantee anything. So I'll just take what I get and be happy with it. Right on. And I think, uh, when can we expect that bo the book, if, when, when, if and when it does come out? Yeah, it'll be out next year. So 2023, it'll be out. Um, I do have a manuscript deadline of December the 1st. Uh, it's called Welcome to the Stupid Apocalypse, uh, a survival guide for the Dumbageddon. And, uh, it's, <laughs> it's already book, good. <laughs> it's a book of essays on a variety of topics from politics to family to technology to social media to everything and uh, being Canadian and American and all that kind of thing. And um, it's been really fun, but I, I am reminded, as I think of the deadline of the Douglas Adam quote, Douglas Adams quote of the, I love deadlines, especially the whooshing sound they make as they go past. So <laughs> I'm hoping they think that's funny too. Yeah, see. yeah. You should write that, right? So yeah. You're, you're, yeah. No, that's great. Hey, uh, thanks for spending a half an hour with us. We really appreciate it. It was great to, uh, to unpack some of this and to talk to you and to meet you. And I'm sure our, uh, our listeners will also appreciate the, the time you spent with us. Thank you so much for having me. It was a riot. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Stuart. Appreciate it. Good luck with the rest of the book. Thanks so much, We'll be waiting guys. for it. Well, Steve, we're back. Uh, that was a great interview with Stuart. Um, I learned a lot of things. Again, I think I'm definitely also going to make sure to take his advice and check out that, uh, that series of conversations with my two-year-old. Uh, but beyond that... I just, uh, it was great to kind of go down, um, you know, I think a lot of these touch points in, in Canadian cultural uh, history that we kind of touched on today. I mean, you were able to mention Marshall McLuhan, which I think all of our history professors you know, at Laurentian <laughs> University would applaud you for, and it landed, which was great. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, and I think the other, I love that moment where you were preparing to, uh, you know, to, to, to com offer a comparison of some, some people that may or may not have influenced him. And there was this, like, I think this moment where we were both saying like, he was, he was like, I'm, I'm curious to see where this goes. You <laughs> stuck the landing because, you know, Jonathan Pye and Rick Mercer were certainly, I think, two, two people that he was influenced by and certainly. Well, kind and, of... and thank God we would have had a lot, a lot of editing to do if it didn't. Right? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but I mean, I think uh, the more, you know, when he started talking about how he knows about the Norm Macdonald podcast, I feel, I figured we were in the same vein. So I felt a bit more safe, but the, a, a bit of terror did wash over me uh, for a moment, but uh, I kept my head up. I mean, we don't talk about the terror, but like, I think that is uh, for every podcast. So there's always a little bit of terror that goes into every question that you're about to ask somebody hoping that is this going to land? Will this be received the way that I think it is in my mind? Is my, am I, is my mouth going to say the words that my brain <laughs> says and have this come out eloquently? Or am I going to jumble through this question and just have it, uh, you know, land flat. But, uh, but again, I think, uh, I think you did a great job and it was a great, yeah, he was just great with, with all of his answers. And I think sharing his time with us today, the one thing, you know, I, I wanted to bring up in that, uh, in the call with him that I, I didn't, because I think the moment had passed, but it's funny when, you know, he was talking about vine and the evolution of vine and how it kind of corresponded with the development of 4g and how you were yeah. able to do more of these videos on your phone. There was a period where like, I definitely had vine, but a, a good buddy of mine who we don't see that often, him and his wife, when they would come to town, uh, we would go on YouTube and just like watch like 30 minute long, like best of Vine compilations for mm -hmm. that month. Right. And it would drive our wives crazy because they hated those videos. But that's <laughs> honestly how we spent 
we would obviously crack a few beers and see where the night took us. And then it'd be like another vine. And you would just watch 38 minutes of the best vines of like March of, you know, 2014 or whenever we were watching these. Right. But yeah. And I always wondered like all that earned media you got and those earned followers, like if Twitter just goes like belly up tomorrow, it's not like you can leave your calling card and say, now follow me on TikTok. You know, like when you lose those followers, they're gone. There's no platform anymore. Right. Yeah, I mean, I feel I, I, like it's it's one of those weird things where like, you know, most people I don't think would care or they would think you're weird for worrying about it. But it's like it's one of those things where is, as much as like, obviously, you can't take your follower account with you and it's not the thing that your family's going to remember or even talk <laughs> right, about after you, right. you pass on. But it's like there is a lot of like work that goes into cultivating that audience and bringing it up. And so if, if Twitter crashed tomorrow, you know, again, I certainly don't have anywhere near the follower account that that Stuart does, but like it would be like a loss of like 10 years worth of work to get up to that mm-hmm. point. Right. And I mean, you would eventually just get over it and move on with your life, but it just, yeah, it's, there's a lot of sweat equity that goes into, into doing that. Right. I think that's underappreciated, but, uh, but nevertheless, if it happens, it happens. We'll always have the podcast. Yeah, we will. And it'll be a document that will live for time in memoriam. <laughs> live in infamy. <laughs> yeah. Another history <laughs> quote. <laughs> no, but it was a great uh, episode. Uh, always happy uh, to have guests that understand ping pong as well. And what I mean by that is uh, we've been very lucky to have guests that when you say something, even if you brutalize the question, <laughs> they'll give it back to you at least. You know, it's not someone who just says, no, I've never thought about that. And then it sort of dies there. They understand that this is a uh, much like an improv. You should be saying yes and instead of no. <laughs> Well, I think our podcast would have been can't. It'd be uh, we would have had to close the doors if we didn't have the guests that were willing to uh, to do that. Because I think you and I uh, we trade in brutalizing questions uh, week after week sometimes. But yeah, uh, but again, I think thing. I think our guests elevate us all the time. I think you know to Stuart's point in the conversation, I I, I forget exactly what he said, so there's no point in me trying to reference it. But yeah, why know, bring it up of, then, right? You know, that's why like <laughs> you and I I think live in the world of like dumber and happier and our yeah. smart guests allow us to have the yes. conversations we have and bring bring these to you week after week well i couldn't imagine finding dumber people to have on our <laughs> podcast so i think we'll always be punching up yeah that's that's a really good point um so you know, i mean at I, the I, risk I, of making our audience dumber i say we wrap this up i i couldn't agree more so again uh thank you to Stuart, aka uh, brutal star for joining us this week thank you for listening and watching we will see you next week for another episode of the unlikely innovators take care bye the unlikely innovators with mike comito and steve gravel presented by cambrian r d and the center for smart mining